Hi everybody, this is Carrie. I'm popping in really quick as the new helm of the editing boards. And I wanted to let you know a couple of things about this um, series of episodes. The boys go super in depth in about in and on saga. So please be forewarned of two things. Massive, massive heavy spoilers. So it's definitely wise to either have read or read with the boys while you embark on this journey with them if you do not want the story to be spoiled for you or if you're like me and you don't give a shit just go ahead and listen to it because I'm definitely not reading it secondly super heavy adult themes are abound in saga uh, this is definitely an NSFW episode please listen with your headphones on if you're in public or at work and um don't listen with your kids in the car unless you're like my super cool fucking family and they never cared. So with that, happy uh, trails, everyone. Hi, everyone, and happy end of the year and happy holidays. Uh, uh, we are on hiatus right now, as you probably know, but uh, hey, you know what's coming out pretty soon. A uh, little series is returning uh, that you might have heard of called Saga. I'm hoping you've heard of it because you clicked on to listen to this episode, and that's probably a good reason if you've heard of, the, of that series. Um, but with me um, to talk about Saga, the first three volumes to be exact this week, is uh, is Richard. Hey, how are you? Good, and yourself? I'm doing well. Basically, folks, uh, Brian and I feel that... Uh, Saga and comics deserve better on the same tier. So now that they're coming off hiatus, we're going on hiatus is basically what, what's going on here. <laughs> we're basically like two sons. You know, we're, we're going exactly. to create gravity pull. We cannot be in the same area at the same time. There you go. Yes. We're going to get a Roland Emmerich uh, disaster movie if that happens. So <laughs> best, best if we duck out into the, uh, into the sunset as, uh, as Saga comes back. You know, we, you never seen Saga in a, uh, Comics are better in the same room. There's a reason. Never same place at the same time. Never, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in other words, I'm Batman. Okay. <laughs> so, so uh, in turn, you know, we're gonna do three episodes, uh, three volumes each, um, and it actually works out because each volume is 18 issues. It's, they mathematically made this perfect. So, uh, I guess we're gonna start out with volume one, which uh, I have the description for right in my hands but before i do that let me give you the uh kind of the stats on this well the writer is uh, brian k vaughn art is done by fiona staples um the phonographics is doing the lettering and design eric stevenson is the coordinator and it's from image comics uh 2012 i believe is when the series first started coming out and so all right first volume and let me give you a quick synopsis from Comixology. Always nice to have that with us. So when two soldiers from opposite sides of a never-ending galactic war fall in love, they risk everything to bring a fragile new life into a dangerous old universe. Fantasy and science fiction are wed like never before in a sexy subversive drama for adults. So, and if you want, if you wanted to know. The Onion AV Club calls this a emotional epic Hollywood wishes it could make. So, all right. Well, Richard, do you agree with that? What AV Club or Onion AV Club says, or or uh, or are you on the opposite side of that? No, 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 no. I agree. 
<laughs> so um spoiler okay well actually yeah spoiler on everything if you if you want to read this this is kind of like a an adjacent like read along um don't, we're gonna spoil everything <laughs> we're, just kidding. we're getting in depth honestly i don't think we could ruin the story it's fantastic and like, you know just to say um so so a little catch up uh volume one so uh the characters that are introduced in volume one are alana marco hazel prince robot the fourth the will the slave girl who we later known as sophie isabel and the stock and i have a people we lose list as well but you know what we'll, we'll want to just do that after like we yeah, talk about we'll get, yeah. we'll, we'll progress there <laughs> we'll kill them um so all right well first of all the construction of the entire series the the narrator is someone who doesn't even who exists in the first panel she's being born yeah <laughs> and and it's a look back obviously um from a character we haven't even heard talk yet uh talking about how she was brought into this world with her the her parents alana and marco alana is from uh the planet side which uh you could tell that those those uh the those aliens or those people from that from that planet have wings the 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 they are in a constant civil war with the uh the people that live on the moon um and those people have horns so you'll hear a lot of references to like the winged ones or the horns or stinking you know, moonies yeah moonies and yeah and landfall and, yeah so so uh so yeah um and of course you know just like you know any wonderful world power out there they don't want to fight on their own land they don't want to destroy their own cities so they uh outsource their war. what do you mean just like any world power that doesn't happen anywhere never, in never. the world never happens I, I i can't even think of a war that might have been kind of cold maybe there are <laughs> there are some premises and uh premises in the uh, book that are a little too real a little too close though where it's just like oh yeah that makes you think yeah and i don't like us <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah it is uh it is fantasy, but at the same time, it's not fantasy. It is grounded. <laughs> Just like a good sci-fi book, you know, they're talking about reality when they're talking about spaceships and, and aliens and, and fantasy stuff. So, yeah, these two uh, characters, you later find out, uh, Marco was a was a prisoner of war, and uh, and Alana was the was the um, one of the guards, and they end up just kind of hitting it off and. And uh, ends up they end up escaping each other from oh with each other on this planet called Cleave, and end up uh, making a baby, and which is amazing because um, according to basically propaganda that these two species can't mate or if they right. do it's an abomination. So of course this is not only just a baby being born it is now a political statement that is being born because mm. the moonies and the weenies i forget what they call the they they're they can breed together they can have babies so they're similar enough in in uh, genetics that they can have kids so that's not good for the powers that be um that are trying to perpetuate this endless war that they're making money off of so um they become public enemy number one right away 
but among many people, um, among their own people on both sides, as well as a few other factions are after them. So, um, did you have a, a kind of a favorite character, or in the you know in the beginning on the first volume, or or did you have a, a certain like plot line that that you thought was pretty interesting? I will say this. Every character in here is just great and well-written. Like, it's very uh, Game of Thronesy in that way. Like, even, like, wh- even a character that just gets one liner, like, they get, a, like, a certain amount of character that you're like, oh, like, nothing feels like an NPC. Everybody feels very real in this world. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's very easy to like most of them. I mean... <laughs> Probably uh, Isabel's probably the most likable character. <laughs> yes, uh, I I absolutely have to agree with that. And and I, what you just said, uh, I mean, in the, so um, Hazel is born in a basically kind of like a like a repair shop for automobiles or whatever the equivalent is, and <laughs> the the person who sold them out about where they were was they said, oh, a grease monkey sold us out. It's literally a monkey. <laughs> yeah, it's literally a, a, a monkey mechanic. Yeah, which, and, and, and even though the, 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 the grease monkey is on the, on the page for like, you know, maybe three or four panels, they get into their, you know, they get kind of, you kind of know where he's coming from and like what his motivations were. And it's like, wow. It's like, you just kind of gave us a sympathy for a character who just like basically yeah. al- almost led these characters to their death because he wanted some cash. So there's a lot of sympathy going around for some villains in this, I think. But no, Isabel, who is the uh, ghost or a horror um, that um, it ends up helping them escape the planet Cleave and becomes uh, Hazel's babysitter or her first babysitter, at least. That's what, that's what Hazel says. Um, and she's, you've probably seen, you know, pictures of her. She She's kind of iconic looking. It's uh, kind of like a, a pink, like, 90s a pink torso <laughs> yeah and then yeah disembodied torso with uh the entrails kind of uh thing right. that's, because that's the most important part the way the magic works on cleave is that uh when you die if you're a native of cleave you die you become a defender of cleave and you die and you are in the shape that you have died in so she died from an explosion so the top half survived in a way so <laughs> that but um but yeah, um, she's sassy. She's, you know, both a kid and way, way, way too wise for whatever age she looks like she is at the same time. So it's she's she's good comedic relief while actually, you know, actually having a, a, a brain. Like a purpose. Shoulder. Yeah. yeah. And she, she like, she helps move the plot forward a lot. Definitely. You know, and, and also is able to talk to rocket ships you know that are uh, that are made out of trees, which must definitely help out <laughs> coming as, up. As you do, as you do. Yeah. So we also um, we also get uh, the will. Uh, so I, I I believe all of the mercenaries have are start start with the the word the. That's how they know that they're mercenaries, and so the will is 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 hired by the horns to. Uh, to get the you know basically kill the kill Lana Marco and get the baby, and yes. but he kind of goes on to different things, <laughs> but uh, but before before all that happens, um, there's uh, there's another character 
named the stock which is his ex-girlfriend who is a are so are they ex-boyfriend and ex-girlfriend because i do it feels like he feels that they're ex-boyfriend ex-girlfriend she feels like hey we're colleagues that had a fling (laughs) and i think it's more the latter and you're absolutely right this is definitely one of those i got affection from this person so now obviously we're, we're dating right. <laughs> you know um and and so there's some weird naivety to the will about how the world works in which is kind of funny because you wouldn't think of mercenary who kills people for a living would have naivete but yeah there there are things like this plus also when he when he goes to a literal like planet of debauchery yeah, it's a bro- it's a brothel, a, bro- a brothel plant. Thank you. Uh, yeah, they, uh, you know, he doesn't even understand like how the politics work there, even though it's kind of obvious like how things go. Uh, but we'll get to that in just a few few minutes here. So I think his his naivete is uh, is pretty uh, amazing. Um, actually, I didn't have the lion cat on my list of uh, characters that were introduced. Oh, you um, gotta have the lion cat. Yeah, which which fantastic design and idea how literally having a creature that really doesn't say much except that can detect when someone's lying and they literally just say lying yeah <laughs> it's a nice to have a lie detector out there i wonder if it's admissible in court though the lion cat <laughs> oh. it would have to be <laughs> yeah as long as the lion cat cannot lie you know i guess right or if it lies that after it lies it would have to say lying right lying 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah, so um, one thing also uh, was really interesting is the magic, how like the rules are established. Um, and all this stuff is established without exposition, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, it's just like, oh, like Marco gets gravely injured. And then the, basically you learn how healing magic works where you have, right. yeah, you have to like, uh, you know, use snow essentially. And so, so the idea, like, so the the Moonies use magic more, and the 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 landfall uses more science. Yeah, science, and, technology types. Yeah. So the but the Moonies they, uh, but they, their magic basically requires a give and take kind of system. So you have to give something in order to receive the magic. So pretty kids pretty if cool. you've seen full metal alchemist you get the concept a little yeah, equivalent it, exchange exactly exactly and i thought it was cool that it depends on what the the uh the the spell is is what the, right what the request is is depends on how great an exchange you need to make like the one with the uh, you have to tell a secret that no one knows and Alana had to tell a secret that, that was very interesting. <laughs> she, she confided into her husband that she kind of likes the taste of her own breast milk. <laughs> <laughs> Which, the way she described how she first tasted it, it, it had to go from her breast to her kid's mouth to her mouth. So yes. it's not just the breast milk, breast milk taste, but the spit-up taste of the right. breast milk. Yeah. Oh, but you know what? everyone's got their weird thing and i'm sure i'm sure it's different even if it's your kid you know you don't care you know what what happens um but so so yeah that that idea like and like having kind of science versus magic in this book as well which brings us to another character prince robot the fourth who the the robot monarchy is on an ally of the uh, the landfall uh, people 
and the robot designs pretty amazing in my personal mm-hmm. opinion where they're yes. humanoid with a basically like a crt television as their heads and every once in a while the screen of that tv will show what they're thinking and when you have a character like prince robot the fourth who has serious ptsd those uh images that come up on his uh his tv are not the most pleasant right. <laughs> sometimes so i will say this like um just for a listener, when you check out the book, mm-hmm. they give you reasons for empathy for every character. Yes. No matter how monstrous, pretty much. No matter how much of a bad guy or a good guy, you will get empathy for him. So, like, Prince Robot the Fourth, total asshole. But also, like, you see how he's, like, weighing under the pressures of being part of the monarchy. Like, he didn't want to go to war, but, like, as part of, like, you know, his ascension to the throne, his his father forced him to go to war. Like, he's like, you need to come back a hero and have some sort of establishment if you're going to succeed me. And basically, he's a douchebag, but then also everything for him sucks. So... Yeah, it, exactly. And spot on. I mean, like, like it's like you don't want to like him because he's just... Right, you don't want to like him, but it's hard not to root for him. Yeah, it, exactly. It's the He's an aristocratic nightmare, and yet, at the same time, like, you know, he's... he's he, All he wants to do now, he has to find the, uh, the you know, Alana and Marco just so he can come back to see his, his own child get born. Right, right. His he, wife is expecting, and he can't return home until he completes this mission. Like, how, how do you not... How do you fault someone for that right. motivation? And especially also, he doesn't want to go back into into combat. He just, you know, saw some unspeakable horrors that happened that they kind of get into a little bit, but here and there. So, so yeah, it's like, and then and same with like the will. So he does something very. Uh, I think isn't the second volume or in the first volume when he goes to Sextilian? Is it the first volume? Isn't it where? Um... where when he goes to Sextilian the first time, it's, yes. it's the first volume. And he meet he gets taken to the inner circle part of the uh, the planet where the more illegal things are going on there. And in a brothel planet, you can just imagine what the more illegal things that are happening are. Um, so meets a obviously underage girl that this person is trying to basically ha- make him have sex with you know and so the the will has can i say something about that that seemed extra creepy because the person is interpreting the fact that because he basically is dealing with his own stresses and ptsd that's why he's not having a good time at the sexillion and basically the person who's running it interprets that as like oh no, this person is into underage children, but is too polite to like request it. So I'm going to just politely nudge him in that direction. And it's extra just skeevy and creepy and gross. Like it's so, it's just like, oh, like I know what you're into. And no, that's not it at all actually. And you're a monster. And don't worry, that person meets a grizzly end really fast. Yes, yes, their uppins will come. <laughs> yeah, very, very quickly. And so it becomes his new purpose, besides obviously working as a mercenary to to uh, to basically rescue this girl and get her off planet. Be, you know, get get her away from uh, the, the shit that's going on there. 
And so, once again, it's like this guy is is obviously going to be an antagonist to our, our heroes through the entire series as long as he's alive. And yet, we like him because, you know, he's doing the right thing. And he's he's going... Right. He's going above and beyond what most like your stereotypical like mercenary would be doing. He's kind of like 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 the Mandalorian, you know, when he says yes. He says, <laughs> oh yeah, Mandalorian. I didn't think about it, but yeah, his yeah. whole situation is very much the Mandalorian. Exactly. So it's like oh, it's like oh yeah, like yeah, he's not a good person. He's actually probably a terrible person, but. Wow, it's like he actually has a heart and he's doing something. Right, right. Something. He, he has like a, a code of honor or a sense of morality. Yeah. That, like, the other people that are in his industry, the other people he would associate himself with have none of those scruples. Exactly. And and then the stock, who also definitely doesn't have the same scruples as, as him, um, he calls her up and says, hey, I'll, I'll help you with this job, like you asked earlier, which I think I didn't mention before. But And as he does, she gets killed by Prince Robot the Fourth, And so the will, in a very... I'm not mad, but I'm disappointed kind of vibe. Like, where it's even more scary that, like, it's just calmly, he's just like, I'm going to murder you. You know, like, I will find you and I will kill you. <laughs> yeah, he, like, he, he went full taken. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's there's no yelling or anything. He's just like, you're dead. Just so you yeah. know. Like, FYI. Like, you don't know it now, but you're going to be dead in very soon. You know, so that, which absolutely conveyed through the artwork and everything it's like oh shit <laughs> like like no please <laughs> it's a quiet rage that you got to worry about um so so yeah um you know we get multiple reasons for everybody you know like everyone has their motivations everyone has a personality everyone has like you know, you, you 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 feel like you know everyone, and like even though you just got introduced in the last like six issues, yeah, um, of of the book. Um, so, uh, also, uh, so the name Saga. Actually, I had this brilliant revelation in my head when I was uh, when I was sleeping, <laughs> and I woke up okay. and I'm like, I gotta write this down, and. The more I think about it, the more I, I think it might have been wrong. But so Saga, but like let's let's kind of like let's dissect the name Saga for this ser- this series really quick. Uh, so a saga implies like like world spanning, just like you know everything's involved, everyone's involved, just a total macrocosm kind of situation, and and basically the story is about a family. Yeah, one family trying to survive, and so um, that's it's pretty amazing that like you know with a name like that, it's it boils down to really three characters. Uh, but then the reason I'm like, oh, maybe I'm wrong about this, but the fact that they do so much good character building, it it does become about the world because you now care about Prince Robot the Fourth and the Will, and you know other characters that pop up here and there you know like besides just the primary family absolutely so um there's some crazy shit's gonna happen <laughs> soon in in the, in the next couple of episodes that we do so it'll be interesting so i think i have everything on the the first uh volume do you have anything else you want to add um i just want to say first and foremost like 
I don't know. We're not treading new ground. No. Everyone's been saying that Saga isn't one of the most amazing comic books of the recent era for like almost a decade at this point. But I had this is my first read through of it. And my goodness, does it live up to the hype? Like, story is excellent. The Fiona Staples' art is fantastic. And the art is so, like, like it varies so much. Like, you could have one, one page where everything just looks dirty and just grimy. And then the next page, it's a palatial estate, you know, a lavish party. And, like, you know, just she just hits the tone so so well because i feel like some books it's like oh like every room every you know background just kind of looks the same but it's like oh yeah no when you need a planet to look like dagobah it looks like dagobah when you need a planet to look like um um well i was gonna say what's the capital city in star wars coruscant (laughs) coruscant thank you (laughs) you need something that looks to look shiny like Kurosawa, it looks shiny like Kurosawa, but it just, it hits so many different tones and it, it's just really affecting, really emotional art. I really love it. Oh yeah, me too. And that wow was like, wow, I can't believe I knew that off the top of my head. That Kurosawa. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for bailing me out there. You, well, you may be a nerd if, if like, <laughs> I, I I probably can get get tell you more places in the Star Wars universe than the actual world. <laughs> with the real world the real world exactly all right but um, one thing that i do find fascinating just of the premise of the book Mm -hmm. so coming in they set up the concept you know the 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 moonies versus the folks from landfall and then you just assume or at least maybe i made the wrong assumption that like they're uh the people from landfall are like hardcore like jingoists like they hate all aliens because like there's not too much difference between the Moonies and the folks from Landfall, but they hate each other. But like the folks from Landfall, like their alliances are all sorts of different aliens. Yeah. Like, like it was very surprised. Like I thought it was like a straight up race thing, but like, I don't know, maybe as the story progresses, we'll see like the catalyst for the original war or whatever. But like, yeah, like I, it's, I, I just assumed that like, oh, like we need to keep our society pure, but it's not that. <laughs> no, it, it's not. But at the same time, I think they have a toleration for the con- for the other planets. Oh right, 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 right. Fight. Absolutely, yeah. it's more of that than anything else. They, there's it's, definitely a, spir- a superiority complex. That- right. Oh, the other races are definitely them, and we're us. But yeah. I thought it was going to be a more like intolerable type of situation. But like, no, nah, they have alliances with all sorts of alien races. Yeah, more of a Soviet Russia situation than say. Nazi Germany situation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, um, I yeah, and no, that that is that is definitely a good point because, and then once again, it's you know, it, it all boils down to just getting lesser lesser quotation mark like planets to fight your own battle, and who knows what even like the reason for this whole thing to start is, and like I wouldn't it be surprised if no one knew, or or you get a story like you know you know, a few volumes down the road and it turns out that that story is completely different and wrong, right. you know, or like, or someone else has the, the absolute opposite type of story that of reasoning why, why this is all happening. It's just two factions that hate each other for some ungodly known reason, you know, someone, someone stole someone's 
girl or, or someone. Right, right. We were fighting for so long, we forgot what we were fighting for, but we knew we wanted to fight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just become now it's become life essentially. So um I could definitely see it being ideology because once again it's magic versus science. But at the same time you meet other you meet other moonies and you meet other land like like landfallians and mm-hmm. the, no one's you there's no good guy there's no bad guy there's this is not there's no empire and and rebels this is this is okay, like, now, these people want to annihilate, annihilate each other at a moment's notice like, they're all, they're all <laughs> on <dead>. site <laughs> actually we didn't talk about the uh part of the opening scene of uh hazel being bored the way that they escaped that situation so yeah um, what a, a different uh member of the robot royalty he's a baron he yeah. comes with a flank a phalanx of like uh landfallians and they're going to execute all of them mm-hmm. and then a bunch of moonies use magic to basically tr- teleport in and it's a uh, old school standoff with our protagonist in the middle and the two warring factions on either side and somehow, between casting spells and shooting bullets, they kill everybody on either side, and our protagonists are left unharmed. Yep, <laughs> happy accident. That is, and then that's like the showing of faith, faith, or not faith, fate. You know, yeah. like, there's a reason why you guys are alive, and um, and that's probably the the bundle of joy that's in your your arms. You know, is why that you just survive that unsurvivable situation, and just there's fun little sense you know little humor i mean like that's kind of funny like how they survived on nothing but luck in that situation and pretty much yeah so so (laughs) there's definitely little fun things like that in in the book oh but before we move on they do the way that they get off cleave is that they track down uh there's a rocket force and Mm -hmm. basically they find a tree rocket which is a rocket made of trees but because it's not using technology, it's like not detectable by radar or whatever. So it gives them a little bit of stealthiness so that they could travel, but they're still ambushed because everything requires sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So Marco destroys his uh, sword that he already pledged uh, pacifism. So he pledged not to use, though he uses it almost immediately after we find out about the pledge to protect yeah. his family. Exactly. So he says to himself, hey, if you have a weapon, the weapon will get used. This is a precious family heirloom, but I will sacrifice it for my new family. But Mm -hmm. sacrificing it, I guess magic is all connected and it brings um, people, uh, a couple of Moonies to their ship and they go immediately on the attack. But what we find out, it's their Marco's parents coming to avenge the death of their son who isn't really dead. (laughs) And that's how we end scene on that first uh, volume. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, mom, dad, <laughs> like, <laughs> kind of situation. See, I didn't have them on my introductions because I technically, um, I'll, I'll have them as as part of volume two because that's when you actually learn their names. Nay, names and everything. They, absolutely. Yeah, even though they do do appear in the, at the very end of the first uh, first volume. So, character we lost was the stock, obviously, and that's it uh, for the main characters, like the ones that we care about. <laughs> yeah. Um, or that we're made to care about, rather. Okay, so we'll go into volume two now. Uh, so, uh, once again, same creators. And a quick summary. It says, thanks to her 
star-crossed parents Marco and Alana, newborn baby Hazel has already survived lethal assassins, rampaging armies, and alien monstrosities. But in the cold vastness of outer space, the little girl girl encounters her family's greatest challenge yet, the grandparents. So, yep, there <laughs> here we go. We got the grandparents uh, who this volume introduces Clara and Barb, the grandparents. Gwendolyn, who was mentioned briefly, we'll get a little bit <laughs> in a second. Uh, D. Oswald Heist, uh, Goose, and and um, that's it. On my, I almost said who we lost, but we'll, we're, we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment here. So Gwendolyn is the ex, <laughs> is, Mar- is Marco's ex, who he accidentally says when he's about to die. And so the, that's how you get to introduce it, that there was a person. And that's also where the rings that translate their um, their language comes from because the they don't speak the what they call the language the the people mm-hmm. from the moon don't speak that language so they are um so th- that's how alana and marco are able to communicate with each other is these rings but they happen to be heirlooms from gwendolyn's family <laughs> so mm. that he had so that there's some there's some drama that's gonna happen here and gwendolyn does end up showing up um and aiding the will now they're in that rocket ship uh, the rocket ship is kind of cool too because it's it's basically sentient, um, yeah. And, which is kind of a kind of a cool twist there. So Clara and Barr they trans teleport onto the the onto the uh, ship as Richard had said earlier, and go on the attack. First thing they do is banish Isabel to the nearest planet because they think she's just a wraith, like a ghost. And yeah, so, they're like, oh, that's a demon. Let's get rid of it. Thanks. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and so um, when things things start clearing up, uh, you find out that um, so basically Marco is going to go onto that planet and rescue Isabel, and and his mom uh, Clara goes with with him. Um, so let's let's talk about the grandparents real quick. Uh, Clara, okay, so Clara obviously doesn't start in the best foot for the reader. As she just kind of got rid of, like we just said, kind of a fan favorite character, <laughs> like immediately. Uh, the more I think of it, like I love Isabel, but then Lion Cat, Lion Cat's up there. <laughs> yeah, Lion Cat is pretty awesome, and and just the design, and also just the idea of Lion Cat, because yeah. what, yeah, it, it's it's still a cat, and he still does cat things, but yet he also is giant, and and we'll tell you it's truth machine. And it's a lie detector. Lie detector. Truth machine, Brian. Come on. There you go. Truth machine there. That's even better. Truth machine. I feel uh, like even if he was a lie detector, he'd put truth machine on his business yeah. card. Exactly. I think I might put truth machine on my business card. <laughs> right. So um so so now the the party has been split up temporarily. Um Clara and Marco are on this planet trying to rescue Isabel. Good news for Alana. She gets to meet her father-in-law <laughs> without any inclination about what's going on and there was first aggression so obviously she's expecting more aggression but right every every interaction with uh these people from these warring planning planets is immediately a blood feud because yeah. it's been a blood feud for generations exactly and that's the, that's the, what they think at first and like they probably didn't even see marco at first they saw someone with wings and it's like okay that's the person who killed our son so right. we, we gotta get rid of them. Clara becomes one of my favorite characters because no, she's she, great. She's so gruff, but she's also so kind. 
but, but and the thing is, is that she's not she's gruff with the purpose it's like no yeah. i'm this hard because the world may be this hard and if you want to survive in the world you need to be this hard is basically the point of her behavior she, she's basically telling marco constantly to grow some balls yeah <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, yeah she's doing it in a very loving way <laughs> but stern um and bar we don't get bar very for very long but, but he's a mensch <laughs> yes yes he, he's he gets trapped by the ship because alana is afraid that he's gonna attack her and and steal and steal the baby but he's just uh, effectively he's just he's gone into full grandpa mode right, right. Like, he just wants to be a grandpa yeah the second he, he sees hazel he's like oh my grandkid i want to give her you know i want to i want to swaddle her i want to give her a hug i want to give her a kiss you know like i'm gonna give her everything i can possibly give right now right and you know, when he, uh, the first time he holds her and uh he actually has to take out uh, a lot of knock her unconscious to do it well yeah. he grabs her and he's like he looks at her and the guy's like hazel he's like great get goddamn name but <laughs> yeah, exactly and but you he is immediately like everyone else is worried about the politics he sees that his grandkid and he is immediately in love with his grandkid and for multiple reasons i think that that motivation there one is because it's his grandkid and like you know like like full-on dad mode full-on grandpa mode right then and two um you later find out that he doesn't have long to live that he's been diagnosed with a terminal illness so yeah he's, he's running out of time he's kind of just living he's like i don't have i don't have more than a week with this baby so i'm just going to give as much grandfatherly love as i possibly can in this in this minute you know this, this week so he's what alana calls a seamstress <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is a huge good point in fantasy she's like he's like no i'm an armorer like in like yeah right. that's, actually i never really thought about that that basically an arm like a a seamstress or an armor is a fantasy seamstress essentially <laughs> you yeah. know so he's designing and, and makes clothes he makes a a very cute onesie with little ears um for for alana uh, not a lot. <laughs> that would be that would be weird. <laughs> Even a little onesie for Hazel. And... Uh, I'm pro. I'm pro adult onesies. Yeah. <laughs> but when when your father-in-law who just met you makes you a onesie, that might be a little... very creepy. Very creepy. creepy. Yes, that's that's when you run. <laughs> but, but yeah, he basically since uh, the Moonies are magic, uh, everything, all the clothes he's making for them, like they look just like cloth clothes, but they're enchanted. Like you know, they uh are like i think they block magic and they're bullet resistant but they're not uh they don't do anything against blades so you can be very stabbed very easily might be some foreshadowing in the future when something that might happen but we won't get into that there is a lot of blades going around so yes um just those characters immediately go from antagonist to, to just absolutely be wonderful in their own ways and they're on their way to the planet um quietus to yes. uh to seek out an author of a sleazy romance book <laughs> named d oswald heist because alana swears up and down that there's some secret meaning to this book and that's actually what made alana marco bond was that alana yeah. was reading the, the story there's a lot of there's a lot of background in volume two there's a lot of flashbacks and and you get alana reading 
to Marco and then Marco kind of asking the questions that Alana asked and like they're just totally bonding and and like creating a, a, a wonderful relationship between each other before anything can even become this. I was thinking if uh, Alana's co-worker just reads the book and gets back to her we have no story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if, if she didn't do, you know, and like naturally, like when someone random, especially a coworker, asks you to do something, like, oh, you gotta check this movie out. It, you're probably not gonna check that movie out or book. So I don't blame the coworker, and I'm very happy that the coworker decided to to brush this, this whole thing off. You know, a coworker sent me a, a YouTube clip three weeks ago that I keep saying I'm gonna get around to watching. So <laughs> I know that life well. Exactly. Yeah, but I am no. gonna get around to it. No. Well, I'll, I'll mark the time mark right now. You know, I'm, I'm... <laughs> they're on their way because according to Alana, this person will know what to do because he wrote uh, basically the manifesto for their new lives as uh, as a rebel couple, you know, a fugitive couple out in, in space. And well, you do um so that is where they're going. Uh the will is still trying to finagle getting um Sophie off of the off of this uh planet. He's kid's name's not Sophie yet, but the, the slave girl, and uh finds out that if he takes her off the planet with you know by by force, there's a virus or some kind of coagulant in her blood that will make basically harden her blood and she dies so yeah. he he's got to pay for her in some way so he meets up with the aforementioned Gwendolyn who is a besides being she's basically a rich girl <laughs> you know like yeah, yeah. on the planet you get that and then she has a cushy job in the government and um but and, she's also the contract that contractor he who he doesn't know had hired her yeah, exactly. Well, I think there's one other person. I think it's whoever her superior is. is right. Well, yeah, but like she's the direct, like the the liaison for yeah his hire. Exactly. Which or, or really the liaison for his liaison because basically it's it's almost like an assassin temp agency. Yeah. <laughs> like no. Like you you call the agency and then the agency calls the assassins and puts them on the case. Which is great because you get that the the um, basically the person who's organizing everything and they're just on this beautiful serene beach planet with a desk <laughs> and, and, and they're and they're and they're essentially taking phone calls and and looking up folders while this giant vast beach scene is all around them that's just like gorgeous but yet they're stuck at their desk i have a friend once uh work from home became a thing last year that's what she did all through the pandemic she while we were all sh uh, sheltering in place she was working from locales all over the country <laughs> that is awesome that that is just the way that it takes the worst thing in the i was just, i was just like oh that's so reckless but god damn her pictures are amazing yeah. <laughs> as long as you're staying away from people and you know as long as those pictures of uh the things you're taking are not they're not crowds then totally that's awesome let's, let's see more of these these sunsets and sunrises and stuff that's awesome no that's definitely a way to uh to, to make the most out of it so Gwendolyn is a bureaucrat. <laughs> so Gwendolyn yeah, pretty much. Is, is comes up with an idea to basically fake like that uh that this the slave girl was actually a um a Mooney that they never found uh, oh no, sorry, was um was actually uh, from landfall and they never found the um 
the the wings like she was genetically like they were removed the wings were removed so um so you better bring this girl back to us or we'll we'll leak this and and all of the people who who slept with this girl will be pissed off because they slept with with a dirty uh you know person from the moon or from from landfall one, one of the ones i forget which one it is is it wings or is it horns that she no pretends. no no she's she's the horns she's she's from the moon oh yeah so and she's pretending that sophie is from the moon as well right okay yeah so and okay. sophie's from a completely unaffiliated planet, or yeah. we don't know what planet she's from but she's not it's like a from comet. one of the planets in the direct uh oh yeah it's a comet that's right yeah but she's not one of the, she's not from one of the planets into the uh direct conflict but one of the ones that have now become part of this, right uh, this one of the uh, proxy worlds that the conflict's being fought upon yeah one of the wonderful wonderful casualties of this whole thing but they they take the um they take her off planet to basically kill the will and gwendolyn um but the 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 will gets the upper hand and kills all three of these um of the the heavies that were sent with uh with sophie and takes so and basically now gwendolyn and the slave girl slash sophie and and uh the will are all and the lion cat are all together as some weird de facto family and you also get one you know a good example once again of that yeah the will kind of seems pathetic because like things weird things keep happening to him and like he gets injured or you know his morals are getting in the way but then you see him take out th- like three giant bodyguard heavies with like squid faces and you're like right oh. he's very um he, he he's very reluctant to really do any assassin stuff but then when you finally get him to do assassin stuff you're like oh you are super competent at this sir <laughs> and that weapon's awesome it's like oh yeah the, the, the telescoping lance yes that, yeah it, it's it's kind of like the the bolt thing that the character from no country for all men uses but it's also extends multiple feet to, yeah and, no it's a real awesome weapon yeah so um so yeah it like and then they end up going on to a uh, another planet and uh to, to kind of hide out as and also they run off and all of a sudden um while they're bickering Gwendolyn and the will are bickering the the girl speaks up and says like hey um your necklace is telling me that they're that its friends are nearby and so she's some kind of like like object telepath essentially and 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 is detecting that um that the rings that were part of the set of the necklace that Gwendolyn was wearing are nearby so therefore she's like oh does that mean that Marco and Alana are nearby no way Marco would have kept those rings but yeah, well, Marco did, <laughs> and he used them on someone else, um, and so um, so they get a beat on on the uh, the wooden rocket ship that is mostly undetectable, and while Marco and um, and his mom are trying to find Isabel, well, on that planet is a <laughs> your first you get your first uh, scrotum watch uh, the series. And that is not a nice scrotum. It's quite the scrotum. It's yeah. quite the scrotum. I mean, it's not it's not a, an attractive scrotum, no. but it's it's impressive. They, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's definitely a, a, um, one to remember. Right. <laughs> but so it's a giant who's naked, 
runs to attack them. They they take them down. They find out that the planet that they're on is not even a planet. It's an egg. And that the thing that is in the egg is about to hatch. And so now they're like, oh, shit, we got to find Isabel ASAP and get the hell off of this planet. And so they they do finally run into Isabel and, um, and, and also fight off these really creepy nuns that yeah. have um, upside down faces and are dressed in black. Like real, real interesting imagery there. It was really cool. Yeah, no, no, no. But like I was saying earlier, like the design of the book is so great. Like, yeah. <laughs> like who's just like, you know what? You know what these nuns need? Upside down faces. <laughs> like, let's, uh, let's take these creepy women in black that are like floating and just make them. They're work. already plenty creepy as is. Yeah. <laughs> And so they are able to escape with Isabel back onto the onto the ship, but um, what happens is uh, the as I, as we said the uh, the planet is about to uh, to hatch, and what is going to hatch is something called a time suck, which is this giant creature that everyone's afraid of. So we don't know exactly what it is, but it's definitely a a runaway type situation well that's the time that uh the will and on this ship decide that they're going to attack and Gwendolyn who is probably not thinking with her brain more with her emotions at the moment a a little impatient (laughs) you can't can't blame her really in the situation because yeah oh no 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 she she has the righteousness of indignation just like she has been aggrieved and she feels as such Remember the aforementioned, like you have sympathy for the villains in this book. Yeah, <laughs> and once no, again, every like I don't even want to say there are villains in this book, but like it's yeah. mostly antagonists. Like villain is too strong. It's just that they're on the opposite side. Exactly, and that's that's a really good point because yeah, you're right. And and there's characters that are going to become full on villains, right? But but as of right now, you you're you're mostly antagonists, and so. Um, and and, and that, that is a good point. It's definitely that's too harsh of a word for for these characters right now. And so the sympathy is definitely there. She's she launches two missiles at uh, at the ship, and um, the the ship goes into evasive uh, maneuvers, misses the ship. But where do those where do those two uh, missiles go? No, no. Remember, doesn't miss the ship. Oh, does they? Oh. It hits the ship, but basically, it's what it. It's a weird thing. The ship. They turn the ship at the missile, and for since it's a wood ship, I don't know, yeah. or it's magic. Basically, since it its payload didn't explode, so it just kind of bounced off the ship. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it just ricochets off, but then it goes into the the uh, newly the hatched uh, time <laughs> And yeah, missiles like and uh, cranky newborn giant entity baby. Don't ma- don't don't mix well, <laughs> and so baby's pissed, and so they all got to get out of there as soon as possible. Uh, the will ship gets damaged by the time suck. Um, at least to the question, so they're they're all able to escape, but they're just gonna leave that there, <laughs> like, right, in, like in, in the middle of the galaxy, just like 
giant entity that everyone's deathly afraid of that's like Galactus Jr. I know, I, <laughs> I know this is an independent book, but there has to be some sort of Nova Core, Green Lantern Core equivalent that you have to phone in for when you run into stuff like that just out in space. Like that seems like a, a hazard for all involved. Yeah. Like you can't just leave that out there. Exactly. There, there's got to be some kind of warning system. You know, dial 911 if uh, you see a giant uh, baby. <laughs> well, the time suck. That I'm can't sorry. end well. Yeah, I need yeah. my time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you know, like, and 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 not even defining its powers, you're like, okay, that's incredibly powerful, and uh, we got to get away from this as possible. With just a name like Time Suck. So, um, so yeah, they uh, they just leave that thing in the middle of the galaxy. Um, the um, meanwhile. Uh, Four IV uh, ends up um, on the planet um, Quietus because he kind of figures out after re- doing his own investigative work that they might be going to visit this uh, author and he meets the author um, and starts threatening him uh, because you know he's not the most uh, subtle character <laughs> out there and he definitely wants to get things done as soon as possible and um, well uh, so the the narration from Hazel, like, well, he was wrong about us arriving there soon um, because we were already there. So Barr is no longer with them because Barr, who uses his armory skills, um, ends up keeping the, the, the ship together with, like, basically magical threat. And that yeah. keeps him from, from dying when the, when the missile hits. And so that, but unfortunately, since he was already dying, that was the catalyst and that kind of made his heart stop. And so you, the final scene is, uh, is Alana and Marco holding Hazel, what, trying to keep her quiet, and Isabel and um, Clara kind of hanging out on the, uh, on, on the, the, the steps. So I did mention that a character named Goose was uh, introduced. By the way, okay, I'm guessing it's Goose because there's a reference later in the book about how you pronounce his name. Um, but it's G-H-U with a little umlaut and S. And he's basically this little seal guy um, that, uh, that is like kind of, he, he has his cattle that he's taking care of. Um, he points Prince Robot IV to the 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 place to the um, where the Oswald Heist was living, um, that's all he does. But um, I'm just mentioning that he's in this. I don't think they even call him Goose. You like you don't know his name is Goose yet, right? In this, I I I, I did not. So no, yeah, I don't. He's the cute seal guy. Sometimes I honestly feel so. This is definitely well planned out. But I wonder, like, because. Goose seems so throwaway right here. And like, if you never see Goose again, it's like, you know, you wouldn't even notice. But I wonder if like, this was a situation where they got letters where like, who was that little cute seal guy with the, the giant like halberd axe? Like that guy was so cool. And they're like, mm. okay, we got to put him in the story, <laughs> you know? So who, know, who knows? If I was going to save this to the end, oh, but yeah. I'll say it now just because this book has a great letter section. Like I didn't get to read all of them, 
Yeah. But like, it's just a really neat letter section. Like sometimes it's letters, sometimes it's uh, Brian K. Vaughn basically asking, you know, us, the readers, questions and be like, hey, here's a little like consumer survey. Tell us what you think about these things. And some of them are about the book and some of them are just innocuous questions that like, I guess he's curious about. That's awesome. But yeah, I, it's a real, really fun, like just compared to how actually so many other books don't even have a, a letter section anymore. It's just a really fun way to run it. So that's the benefit of getting the books issue by issue because I, I um, the, the collected volumes don't have the letters. Oh, they don't have, yeah. No. Right. And I do, um, the first time I read it, it was an issue to issue and I do vaguely remember the, 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 uh, the um, letters being pretty cool. But that's kind of a Brian K. Vaughn staple because, like, even like with Paper Girls, like he, it, that that is a a legendary uh, um, letter column as well. So, you know, shout out to letter columns; they're underused. Yeah. And they what what am I uh, like the the just the the happy fun things is that if you scroll through like old letter sections, you will see names of comic creators that you are very famous now that you know of. Yeah. It's so cool. Like, like I remember reading something really old, and I was like, "Huh, Joseph Straczynski. I wonder if he's that Joseph, <laughs> that J. Michael Straczynski." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that is super cool because it's also cool, like seeing them fan out in like, "Yeah, like, hey, that's kind of like me now," you know? Like, I'm yeah, fun. yeah, I feel the same. I'm always extra happy to see uh, letter pages. And Marvel does it now more often than DC. Um, image seems to do it often as well, which is nice. Well, that kind of leads us to the end of, of volume two. We we lose Var, like as I just just said, um, which sucks he's so because, sweet. Like yeah. <laughs> there are a few characters that die in this that it's like, no, why'd you do that? I don't like that you did that. That that hurt me a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's just some really like in in the depths of war and all this evil or whatever, like there's just some really good natured, sweet people in this world and they bite it horribly. You're gonna lose at least one person in every volume. And and unfortunately in this in this case, it's somebody like like uh, like Barr. Because the stock was cool and like a very cool design, but I was like, okay, she's gone. And she kind of shows up in volume three in, in a in a certain way as well too so yeah yeah the thing is is that that character was such an evocative and like you know like a, such a well-designed character i was just like well she can't really be dead yeah like, like like why you wouldn't waste that character and kill her off so quickly but now she seems to be pretty dead exactly. <laughs> and then that kind of gives that whole idea of like the game of thrones kind of idea where right right yeah, Every, yeah everyone's on the table yeah he's like just as cool yeah, they're gonna throw away that design. <laughs> like they're, you know, that you know that character that you thought was the neatest character. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get another one. Don't worry, we'll just kill this one off. It's fine. All right. Well, I think that's everything for volume two. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into our last volume for this episode. Uh, just really quickly, volume three. Quick summary. Um, they keep getting shorter and shorter. Uh, as new parents, Marco and Alana travel to an alien world to visit their hero while the uh, family's pursuers finally close in on their targets. So that's what is going on in this issue or this volume. So uh, first of all, introduces uh, Upshur and Doth and um, the, the Brandon Sweet Boy. 
and uh it's actually that's it i think for uh our introductions to two duos that are that are definitely um known to be with each other so upshur and doff are um your reporters so because of course reporting is going to happen in this situation there's no salacious and scandalous how could it not which makes sense and as well as um you know it kind of adds an extra um an extra kind of feel to this this whole thing because uh um what's kind of cool about this the series is that like we were saying earlier even though it's like a fantasy book there's so much modern feels to it like there's cell phones in a way there's board games triple triple a roadside service is in this thing and and so of course like the media and the the so Offshore and Doff come from a planet that um it's like it seems like it's an underwater planet by the way that they look and they are also the planet frowns upon uh, homosexuality and it's later revealed that that besides being um a photographer and reporter dubo they are also romantically involved um so they have that hanging over their head as well um because of their uh, other society that they happen to be part of which sucks but um so they're now on the case and they add an, a new flavor to this entire uh, to entire mix here and we um after briefly meeting them you um we get kind of a flashback to how the um what happened to Alana Marco and the and the the wooden spaceship how it how it arrived on the planet on uh on Qantas Quietus. Aquinas, yeah, the Qantas, um, <laughs> the, the the airliner, and um, you get a, a great um, grandma moment as well. You know, like once again, you know, even if they don't necessarily agree with what their kids are doing, those grandparents are fantastic grandparents to to Hazel. Yeah, and um, and so um, they're landing on on uh, they're going to be landing on Quietus, and uh, meanwhile the will um and that group uh in the crash landing on a, a foreign planet that they don't know anything about and um so obviously some bickering is going on and um they are basically trying to get um they, they're gonna need roadside service essentially to get off this planet um and um the and so they're kind of stuck there for for the time being and as well as at that moment um the on quietest they land um alana and marco and 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 their crew land and get attacked by a bone monster and uh, (laughs) (laughs) get saved by a very the 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 same character heist that we met before but but this is a different type (laughs) Of introduction than the he's very of- drunk and very unclothed, and there happens to be a little yellow stain on his tidy whiteies <laughs> he's wearing, and he's carrying a bottle of booze around with a gun. So he does save their lives, but yeah, not the best uh, like uh, introduction, especially to a hero. I guess you never meet your heroes, right? They start uh, kind of talking, um, you know, to each other. Turns out that alana's assumption about what that book was about was actually heist's intention that yeah you know like basically when he when she describes 
the situation that Marco and her are in, he's like, you read my book. It's like, that, that is like, that is like his reaction. And <laughs> so, and, and so, and I, I can imagine like, you know, a creator, like not only someone reading their book, but then like being like, it's, it, you know, it influenced me. Living its teachings. Yeah. Yeah. You actually taught me and like influenced me the way you intended. And so that's pretty amazing. So I, I definitely feel for him. Um, there's a little bit of a, um, of a little bit of a romance tinge going on as well um, between um, Heist and, um, and Clara. Clara yeah, is still in mourning. She's obviously not really pursuing anything, but you kind of tell that there's a little bit of a tinge between them. Um, yeah, they, they, they're, they're chock full of chemistry. Yeah, and they're also, they also, even though Heist has just been placed into the situation, he has some sort of caring, like he, he cares about these characters and he wants Alana Marco to make the right decisions and they know that their future is on the run. There's not much decisions to make that gives Hazel like a normal life. And so like any great conspiring grandparents or elderly people would do for their kids is there's no way that those kids would take any information or take advice, you know, directly from them. So you got to make them think that they thought it up. So they come up with a plan to help guide them to a, a to a new life, essentially. Um, and meanwhile, Isabel makes this is one of my favorite moments in this book. This this is um, uh, is when Isabel basically confronts um, Clara when they're together and says you know that he digs you right like and she's like i know that he digs me like well well why don't you do, why don't you do anything about it and it's like well you're i'm in mourning and it's like well you know i mean you know i'm sure that he'd want you to move on and be happy and then kind of car looks at isabel and it's like how old are you <laughs> like yeah and, and that then that brings up a good a good point that that even though isabel died as a child who knows how old Isabel is? She can be centuries old. For yeah, she's years. getting all these new ghost experiences. Yeah, so, so definitely, I think that's one of the reasons why I love that character so much because there's definitely a juxtaposition of, of like what you think is like a snotty teenager, but Ashley's probably the most wisest character in the book. We flash back to, um, we have a kind of a, a triumvirate of a story going on right now, where um, the will. And and his gang are um, are on on that planet, and the AAA finally comes. He starts seeing the stock, and the stock keeps telling him to like, you know, move on or do stuff. Basically, settle on this planet, you know, just stop doing what you're doing, and li- you know, live with Gwendolyn, and 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 have Sophie as as your kid, and 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 Lion Cat, and just retire. You're brought. You're you're definitely thinking that he's gone insane and that he's seeing the dead and uh, and obviously stress kind of causes things like this so it's kind of you know understandable that of what's going on but wow um so um you do find out later that he's not the only one having visions and sophie sees her mom who's dead and mom says don't let them off our planet. <laughs> and you, the way you do that is kill the will. So she ends up in a trance and stabbing the will in the neck. And uh, 
basically almost causing her to die or him, him to die. He's basically on his, his last, uh, his last legs there. And Gwendolyn kind of all of a sudden has a, has a, uh, a vision, but then realizes instantly it's a vision probably because she's like more magic, uh, used to magic and everything realizes the shit that's going down, that the planet doesn't want them to leave and is wondering what the hell is happening to the other two people on, uh, that, that landed there and find out that and she walks in on uh, the the uh, the will bleeding out and same with lion cat and lion cat initially goes after sophie but is is told to stop um by by gwendolyn there is some kind of relationship co- like burgeoning between gwendolyn and the will what what do you think about that like do you think a romantic relationship at this moment kind of so happen? yeah right she's says it outright later but i didn't read that as the text on the page yeah she's a bureaucrat she's gonna say stuff to help her situation yeah like um that said like it wouldn't be far-fetched like it could definitely go there like with the minimalist of nudging so it's not far-fetched when she says it but like again like i said when she says i was just like that's not really how i read it on the page but like (laughs) again it wouldn't be the most it wouldn't be so out of left field that like like you you could it could happen without adding any other context to it it wouldn't be that far out of left field but it i didn't read it that way when i read it yeah no exactly like that's exactly how i feel too and there's even a moment where the will forces a kiss on gwendolyn and vision is basically telling him to do it and he's kind of in trance (laughs) that I mean, at the end of the day, he's still forced to kiss on her, and he is appropriately dealt with for doing that. Yes. Kids, you want to learn why you don't do certain things? Exactly. You will get punched in the face. Yes. (laughs) And deservedly so. Even no matter what you perceive feelings that that person might have for you, if, yeah, don't do that kind of shit. (laughs) We consent on this podcast, goddammit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so yeah, um, kind of the situation that's going on so that they're 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 in dire need now um Gwendolyn gets the idea and tells Lion Cat that what they need to do is they need to find her ex because he's a healer and he's you know already kind of successfully healed himself earlier with the with the snow when he got attacked in the first book so we know that as an audience as well that he probably is capable of saving the will so despite even though there seems to be other motivations obviously he wants she wants to still come confront her ex-boyfriend after all the situation all the stuff is happening um so she ends up um go getting to quietus or decides to go to quietus as well um after a tip that robot the fourth was on his way to quietus so they kind of all figure out so everyone's get going to this planet and they're all going to converge real soon um and in the meantime, as well, the reporters are, are kind of uh, are doing their own thing and trying to gather information. And um, they're very intuitive and they're predicting things correctly about what's going yeah. on. I thought that was really interesting that they're, they they seem to be the ones that know what's going on, even though they're they're it's all assumptions. Which is pretty the thing is, is that they're, yes, they're reporters, but it it's more kind of uh, established that they probably work to, for something more akin to the National Enquirer TMZ rather, you know, than the Washington Post or the New York Times or your, you know, your local, like, 
journalistic integrity newspaper. That said, they have tons of uh, journalistic integrity. Yeah, exactly. They're 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 working for trash. Um, yeah, they're like they're working for a trash paper, but they're obviously great reporters. Yeah, it, it, definitely. There's there's definitely that kind of feeling where you, yeah, they they they, they should be working for somebody else altogether, but probably. Once again, their status, you know, even if if it's hidden, you know, they unfortunately can't boil too many, too many uh, waves or make too many waves um, with the situation that they are personally in. So, well, they're um, unfortunately have boiled too many uh, um, puddles and get a another assassin. Um, the you said the name of the, the company before. But... Basically, uh, a, the, a freelancer is put freelancer. on their tail. And yeah, they they they, uh, they basically get sniped at. Uh, one of them gets winged in the shoulder. But uh, at the time, they're speaking with a one of the commanders, uh, or basically uh, Alana's original commander in the uh, art in the military. But her commander was part of the, uh, I guess, the robot planet empire. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, because of that sniper shot, let's see, there was a disappropriate, uh, disappropriate uh, retaliation to that sniper shot. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of feelings and sympathy in the robot uh, monarchy, and apparently, uh, a nuclear strike or like a bomb strike and no. destroying an entire <laughs> building full of people is. Oh, you you read it as a bomb strike? I, I kind of read it like as a space laser or something. Yeah, like it just <laughs> some kind of it just comes explosion. down and annihilates that building. Yeah, just disintegrates it. It looks like it almost looks like there's like a forest on top of that building for a second yeah. instead of all the smoke and everything. No, no, like, I definitely had to read the page twice because it also goes on in the background. So it, yeah. it, like your eyes are not meant to call attention to it. Like that's how insignificant those people are. But like it just rains down from heaven and it's just pure destruction. Exactly. And definitely once again, kind of establishing what type of characters the, the robot monarchy are. It's not even happening to the main characters. It's just happening in the background, like you said. This is- and I say all hail to our robot overlords. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so they also get the the um, the brand um, on their tail, basically, um, to um, make sure that they don't speak. And the brand looks like David Bowie, kind of, um, and very androgynous type character. Has much like the Will has um, a pet companion. Um, it looks like a big uh, kind of like um, one of those kind of dogs, the ones that are up on the in the snow. Saint Bernard, like a Saint Bernard, exactly. Yeah, like a red and black Saint Bernard. Um, and apparently, this that pet companion like shoots ordnance <laughs> is what he does, and shoots these two uh, poisonous darts at the uh, the reporter couple. And the the supposedly is a curse that uh, that if they say anything that's that's re- related to the Alana Marco case that they will die. Um, and so she leaves. You find out later that the brand, there's a reason why there's some similarities between the brand and the will, um, that the brand is actually the will's uh, sister. And yes. uh, introduced her to the stock, by the way. <laughs> Already introduced mm. him to the stock. That's what I assumed too when she said, I introduced him to her. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely, no, no. That's uh, definitely that's what we're meant to assume. Yeah, yeah, and um, and so 
because the will ends up in the hospital and the, and then the brand ends up visiting and the will is says Sophie I think in in you know referring to the kid but you find out that the brand's real name is Sophie so. no no I, I, I yeah even though that's the last issue I read I assume that as such said like no his sister's name is Sophie and he named though because he definitely seems like he has issues with his sister yeah but obviously he loves her and that's why he gave uh our slave girl that name yes no totally. and again like I said you these I again not villains but these antagonists like they have so much heart to them you can't really be that mad at them. There, and and there's no reason for this stuff to be established I mean if you're you could easily write the story and not have this heart place in these characters you know and that's what makes the story so amazing is that is that like yeah you you're you you like and you feel for these people that yeah you shouldn't have to or need to but you want to because it's great writing um so um it all uh kind of comes down to a head where uh, Gwendolyn and um, Sophie and Lion Cat and Prince Robot the Fourth and our hapless uh, crew are all on the same planet at the same time. Um, we we get to the point where book two ended, where uh, he's being confronted, where Heist is being confronted by Prince Robot the Fourth, and Prince Robot the Fourth is violently attacking him. The mom. Um, sorry, Clara decides to come down and try to help, and um, and then what what happens is uh, they're both kind of uh, they're both kind of taken down by Prince Robot the Fourth, but then Gwendolyn pops in and takes down and and cracks uh, old uh, Fourth on the head and uh, knocks him out, and um, and he has to reboot because he's a computer, <laughs> and so. Yeah. Um, me, um, but at the same time, she also uses the lance um, at Heist, who who uh, obviously pointed a gun at um, at a character. Oh, sorry, it was um, it was Heist who who shot Prince Robot the Fourth. My apologies, and the knockout. Yeah. But then Gwendolyn pops in, kicks open the door, sees Heist with the uh, the gun, with and the gun, and uses the lance and knock and pokes it right through the eye. And and kills him like basically instantly. Oh yeah, we did mention he's a cyclops man yeah. for no reason. Yeah, just because it makes him look even neater. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a, yeah. That, that is, I think that's a lot of purpose in this book is like the character design. It's just let's just Oh yeah, it. like like um, there's a bunch of minor characters that we didn't get to. There's a uh, a guy that gives uh, the will a tip. He's just like a, a weasel or a ferret yeah. man. Like just for no reason, he yeah. looks awesome. Yeah, you know what? Like, there's no reason. I mean, this is not a live action movie. Like, there's no budget. Let's just go hog wild with the effects here. Let's 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 make everyone look look uh, special and different. Um, I didn't notice this the first time reading through it, but um, Gwendolyn's wearing the Will's cloak as well. So that also kind of brings up questions when she says that he loves her. I I don't know. It just kind of seems that she becomes enthralled with him at least so yeah no again just like um with uh clara and uh heist like there's just there's definitely chemistry there whether it'll be act upon or not you could definitely like you can't say that there isn't chemistry yeah exactly so will they won't they we'll, we'll find out in a little bit probably 
Um, and so Isabel saves the day by turning into a giant cat <laughs> and scaring Lion Cat away. And um, Gwendolyn goes up to the top um, of the lighthouse chasing Marco and Alana. They end up on the very top of the, uh, the lighthouse. Alana, it's already been established she has wings, but it's been established multiple times that she is incapable at this time of flying. And um, and so there's a confrontation um, between Gwendolyn and Marco. She he he she asks him to to save the will. He can't because the magic only works on their types of people. So it doesn't. It, unfortunately. Um, the, you know he's the this there's no reason for her to get his help because he can't help and uh um lets her rage kind of uh enter the situation because mm -hmm. she has once again every right to be pissed off at everyone at this moment and um and marco it, what it, what seems a very very uh all the like sudden basically just say to to, to keep Alana and baby from suffering pushes them off the lighthouse and 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 basically start falling to their death and so Marco uses that moment essentially to um to to you know basically continue the argument with Gwendolyn and Thankfully, Alana pops up behind flying so she is able to fly and uh and shoots uh Gwendolyn in the head with the little tiny gun that she has and uh, knocks her out so she's not dead but she's knocked out and meanwhile the entire lighthouse is going up in flames and, and fire because of all the, the fighting that is going on and um really sweet moment when Alana um were asked Marco like how did you know I'd be able to fly and she, he's like you can do anything <laughs> like I have yeah absolute faith that that you're you know you're capable of doing anything you could possibly put your mind to so i knew you'd be able to fly so that was that was kind of a sweet sweet moment there no like um they're so obviously and intensely in love it's like it's so joyful but then also it's kind of like oh i don't i want to be that in love <laughs> yeah, exactly they are um they're, they're a, a power couple yeah <laughs> They and they're pretty pretty awesome to each other. And then like, what's great about it too is that they're real because they'll, they'll still bicker, they'll still fight, and they won't agree all the time. But 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 you, the love is still there, and you, the love is palpable off the page, which is nice. And well, after all that happens, they fly off and land on a different planet. Um, it looks like Gwendolyn is still hanging out with uh, Sophie and the Lion Cat. Um, and watch kind of watching the will from a distance who's in the hospital um so that the, that's kind of where they're at at the end of this book um well the uh our hapless heroes end up uh flying away to another planet and in the uh the, the door opens up on the new planet and guess who pops out of the door uh alana and hazel well not surprised because they're on that ship but what is a surprise is that there's been a time jump and hazel is now walking is so there's been at least a three or four months time difference between now and our last few pages that we just read 
So, and that's how the the uh, this chapter ends is with a with a fun time jump, just to make sure that you all come back for the next issue. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, and if I remember correctly, there's a time jump per every eighteen issues. So, oh, neat. Yeah, I, I so I think that this is going to be a common theme where you get the story. This is the arc, and then we jump into a new part of Hazel's life, essentially. So, which is a great way to do it because you know I'm assuming we're going to get Hazel of all ages through this whole thing. So, right. So it's the that probably easiest way to go, and but 54 issues. So uh, that was a halfway point. So that what uh, it's going to be 108 issues together. So that's, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. So. I um I'm guessing yeah that they got 108 issues that does seem like a lot but you know if you're telling a, a, one character's entire lifespan you gotta do some time jumps. So absolutely. Any uh any other thoughts on this volume? This volume I apologize I kind of stuttered a little bit because we get to the point in this one where there's literally three stories going on at the exact same time, and I was yeah. trying to figure out how to how to explain each uh, of the uh, yeah it's a lot of a uh, non-linear storytelling you're getting uh things at different times but yeah no it's really really well done but yeah when we're describing it it's hard to be like oh where should we order order what in what order <laughs> yeah so like meanwhile don't worry i'll get better at this you know <laughs> yeah so but no, it's a really great book one of the things i wanted to mention is that um it uses action so well because it's not action-packed, but when there is action, the action is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I think also since it's not action-packed, when there is action, the action is very graphic. Like every time there is action, you remember because there's giant testicles or it gets very <laughs> bloody or when this guy gets knocked out on the battlefield, there is somebody blowing multiple penises on his TV on his TV head screen. Like, yeah. But it's always very, very evocative. And so since like, you know, it's a lot of, it's mostly quiet moments and tension. And then when you get action, you're like, oh, action. And like, they always, they deliver on it. They always make it worthwhile when you finally get some action. Yeah, there's there's really no wasted pages. Yeah. In this, which is pretty fun, pretty amazing. And, um, you know, I mean, like, it's not a hot take to say this is like one of the best comics ever, but but could it be a hot take if I say this is probably one of the best like fictional stories ever? <laughs> you know, I well, mean, at, at the very least in recent fiction, like yeah, <laughs> it's it's one of the things about the book too is that it it is very apparent how well crafted it is. It's not just that it's good but you could tell that it's well-made. Like, you know, if you ever get like a, a quality chair or something that's like high-end, like sometimes it's like, oh, it's high-end because of the label, but it's like, no, it's high-end because of the label and it's actually really, really good quality. This is a sign of quality, exactly. Yeah. So no, um, and yeah, this is absolute quality. So, um, you know, we have met people who don't like this series and it, it does happen, um, but... You know, oh yeah, not everything's not for everybody. But yeah, I think objectively, you could even if it's not your cup of tea, you could be like, "Oh, it's done very well." <laughs> I, I I may not want my fourteen year old niece to read this yet, but I definitely want her to read it in the future. But I just think giant scrotums and people getting impaled in the eye 
<laughs> or not <laughs> things like especially when he only has one eye exactly. it's so unnecessary yeah oh I, I wanted to ask you that which death in the book like uh bothered you or touched you the most um so far so of the of the three you know it's it just because i wanted so much more for the character um uh, it was kind of bar really okay. bothered me a lot you know how about how about yourself yeah so for me it was heist and it was mm -hmm. just kind of like um like it, it hurt on a few levels just that he was very nice and generous he opens his home to them but like this was proof of concept of whatever his philosophical theories were so mm -hmm. he's very invested in that then uh he's you know obviously he's into claire so he's very invested in that and then to, he just kind of gets snuffed out very quickly. Like we get it when uh, he's first being interrogated by Prince Robot the Fourth. He actually uh, kneecaps him and shoots him in his knee. And I thought, oh, maybe that'll be the worst of it. Like we've gotten some damage, we've gotten some bloodshed. This character's going to be around for a while. So when he gets impaled in the eye, it was just like, no, like yeah. he was seeing his life's work coming to fruition, like, and he was going to get to participate in it, and he was finding new love, like, and he just seemed like a good dude. Like, it was just a lot for me. Like, I was just like, oh, we could have given us more. That said, Barr is just, he was, he, he just seemed like yeah. an excellent, excellent, uh, I want to say excellent human, but I guess I should say excellent Mooney, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, like, you're just like, oh, I'm like, that's a good guy. Why would a good guy die like that? <laughs> and he died a hero. He, like, kept the ship together. Exactly, and he sacrificed the little time that he had left just to to make sure everyone else survived. And right, and like, and yeah, he's like in like three pages yet. Yeah, that that like that death was like, oh my god, like, but but no, you're you're absolutely right with heist. I mean, because in a in a lesser writer would have probably kept him around a little bit longer too, because you know he's kind of like experiencing what he's always wanted, you know, to experience and like. He's almost going to narrate the story in a way, uh, you right? Know, because he's already told the story of like how these people are are shaping up. So, but no, no, just poked through the head by accident, more or less, you know, misunderstanding, and mm -hmm. he's dead. Right, right. Because she doesn't come in but guns a blazing. Like the situation is kind of settled. <laughs> yeah, it's everything is and then obviously you someone kicks down your door and you you know you're gonna turn around and look and he happened to have a gun in his hand. So unfortunately that's what happens. Also just really quick I know we we've kind of gone over a little over time here. Do you think this could be adapted into something else as a movie or TV show for example? Um if it's adapted I do think it'd have to be a TV show or a video game because it's very long form storytelling like I said it's more quiet moments than action moments mm -hmm. so like yeah I don't think a movie would do it justice like I think it, it's a different thing if it's a movie so I think if it's adapted you have to do something where you either you know you have multiple episodes multiple seasons or a video game that you know you can roll a hundred hours into exactly because story beats cannot be rushed upon in this story you know so no, I no, I totally agree. Now, animated or live action if it was a TV show? I mean, it'd be amazing live action, but like, it would have to be a Game of Thrones level <laughs> thing with a Game of Thrones level budget. Yeah, and exactly. I don't know who's you know or Mandalorian level budget. Like, there's so many different worlds, so many different type of aliens and species. Like, 
it would, you know, just just the characters, you know, a lot of just standing around with those wings is, you know, a special effects display in and of itself. So if we want a live action TV show, this then Disney needs to buy Image, is what you're, or at least <laughs> buy buy Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples because they they own the property. Well, yeah. or, or or Amazon also has more money than God, and they just yeah. need to get a little bit more ambitious. That's true. For they Amazon Prime. They did Invincible, so yeah. I mean, they, they did Invincible. They do the boys, so they're definitely yeah. in that business. But again, this would be a, a completely different undertaking. Yeah, and then also it, it does feel like the type of book. Like I don't think I would want this adapted until it's done. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, I kind of definitely would like to see it finish in comic form before it becomes anything else. Um, but there's something uh, very pure about the book and the storytelling, and yeah. then I feel like once uh, you have movie execs that are have money invested, all of a sudden they're like, actually, tweak this, do yeah. that. You know, make, They're giving you... No- people that shouldn't be giving you notes are giving you notes all of a sudden. Make sure this person survives because because everyone likes this character. Like, you know... On, he, you're right, right. Yeah. He tests well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and yeah, no, I completely agree. Let, let, let this get over with first and then adapt it. Um, if they adapted it at all, um, but it would be an awesome cartoon, though. Now that you made me think about it, <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, just I, her, Fiona Staples' art is so kinetic that yeah. it would be so easy to to animate that and make it look good. And but and then once again, but the spectacle of seeing it live action would be pretty amazing as well. So I I'm all, I'm all I'd be all for either one. Um, but it just it would have to be done well. And now the thing is too is that um, there um, have you have you noticed even on the independent comic side that the things that are being adapted are mostly like superhero adjacent. And this is definitely not a superhero comic. Like, but it definitely uh, is a Star Wars or Star Trek comic because like and those are yeah. universes that things are very quiet. And then things get big and blow up, then things go back to being very quiet. This is definitely the epitome of a space opera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely more like that. But I but if hopefully an executive can see that, see it beyond, oh, this is not about superheroes. I don't want to do this to like, oh, this is more like a like a sci-fi space opera, like a Dune or a or a Star Wars or Star Trek. Okay, yeah, let's, let's do it, you know. Because and let's pile billions and billions of dollars. <laughs> And right, right. Like if this was being made with a movie, and they would be like, "No, he can't destroy that sword. What would he fight with?" Yeah, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta take that out. Exactly. I guess we'll we'll go ahead and close this edition of the Saga Saga. I don't know what we're gonna call this yet, so <laughs> we'll we'll see. Um, but uh, thank you everyone for joining us. And uh, Richard, anything else you wanna say before we uh, we head off into the distance here? Oh, no, just that we'll be back with next week with more Saga. So read Saga so you're ready for next week. Yes, we'll be reading <laughs> volumes uh, four through six, which is also just Omnibus 2. And, or uh, issue 17 through 36. Yep, yeah. So it all, it all it's, it's, it's pretty amazing how everything lines up in the series. Every, every volume is six issues. There's three volumes per, uh, per Omnibus, so... It all mathematically works, and that makes my OCD brain very happy. (laughs) All right. Well, you guys all have a good day, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Later.